Welcome or welcome back to The Bicultural Identity, a podcast created from the experiences unique to young Asians raised in a Western society. We're your hosts, Connie and Jenny. Our weekly episodes contain conversations around social issues, pop culture topics, and nostalgic childhood memories that are significant in our lives as second-gen Canadians. Connie, episode introduction. Today we're going to be tackling the topic of sustainability, something Jenny is really, really passionate about, so she'll probably be doing most of the talking today. We're focusing more on Asian countries and what they're doing about sustainability globally. We've done a lot of research for this episode, and hopefully it will educate you on what other countries are doing and where they're succeeding and what they need to still improve on. Mm-hmm. I am very passionate about it, but like just as a small disclaimer, I'm mostly like at the stage where I'm only able to concern myself with personal sustainability because I want to figure out my life before trying to get into all like the organizational or like governmental changes that need to happen. So this is like a huge um, research episode that Connie and I undertook this week. We'll try to comment as best as we can on the understanding, but of course this is like from a week of research versus years and months of like professional understanding mm-hmm. on how governments can truly implement change. Um, I have some experiences working with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals before that, so I have a little more clarity on that. But at the same time, our understanding of policies are not our university majors. We'll just leave it yeah, at that. It's, it's not our expertise. <laughs> if we have time, maybe we can go into a bit of what Jenny's doing personally about sustainability. Mm -hmm. But I think it is important to start with yourself because people who are making those big policy changes and fighting for governments to improve basically sustainability wise, those people already have their lives set and like are super passionate about it to the point where like they're putting like all their time and effort into this, right? So not everyone can do that, but everyone can change little things about their lives to improve the environment. Wow, thanks Connie. (laughs) You're an inspiration, Jenny. You've absorbed my YouTube channel content so well. (laughs) Okay, so we'll start with topic one, which is really just general Asia. So this includes big countries like Japan and Korea, but also a lot of what Southeast Asia is working on right now. And Connie and I kind of split up the research for this one. Do you Mm want to go into the bigger countries first? Sure. I think there's like less I can say about the bigger countries, though, Mm -hmm. because I think Indonesia is doing so much. Yeah. In comparison. Yeah, definitely. But in general, like with Japan and Korea, maybe I'll start off with Japan first. I think they are one of the leading Asia countries in sustainability if you look at it in a global picture because they are investing a lot of money into it. I did some research and found out that Japan is the top shareholder in something called the Asian Development Bank, which is basically an organization that promotes social and economic development, mainly through investments. So it's like an economic and financial thing. Japan is a top shareholder in this organization and invests a lot into... Wait, let me just read a stat here. Japan has actually helped raise nearly $30 billion in climate financing for innovative technologies and projects that support green growth between 2011 and 2018. So they have definitely put a lot of their money towards sustainability. As like a personal note though when i visited japan one thing that i was disappointed in was that there was so much usage of plastic all their consumer packaged goods are exactly that they're packaged way more than anything in 
North America is even packaged and we're like a huge consumer of single use plastics and just like food packaging, but they like wrap everything in like five layers uh-huh. of plastic. And if you watch like those cool Japanese ASMR cooking videos, so many of them use plastic for like things you really don't need plastic for. Mm-hmm. I think they always like try to come up with really cool packaging designs too, like little shortcuts on how to open something or how your lid can actually also turn into a spoon and like all these little things that just put a little more like intricacies and extra plastic into designs. And this is like the business student in me coming out, but Japan is kind of known in an economic way as almost like a Galapagos economy. So they've evolved in like such a weird way where they had early Western influence from their U.S. occupation. But then after that, they ended up evolving their taste so much. Like, I don't know if people are aware, but um, in Japan, people are still avid consumers of like CDs for buying music Mm -hmm. and they love customization. Like everything has limited edition things like phones are all different colors even food is changing on the shelves every five days for like new limited edition flavors or packaging i think it is something to admire just because it's so visually pleasing and like when i went to japan obviously like when you go to convenience stores like 7-eleven the way they package food is really appealing Mm -hmm. i do admire that but at the same time the amount of negative impact it has on the environment is It's like taking a large toll. Yeah, I think any country like Japan, that's basically like an alien ecosystem with the amount of technological innovation they're constantly putting out into the global industries. It's no like surprise that they would suffer in terms of climate impact in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I do think it's commendable that like for an Asian country, you know, we're not going off very high standards here. Um, It's hard to like educate these countries on exactly what the issues are with climate change and I think a lot of it comes from overall global government pressure on each other and everything. Mm -hmm. A positive note about Japan, one of the first things that popped up when I typed in like Japan sustainability or something like that onto Google, it was actually the Tokyo 2020 homepage, probably now 2021, (laughs) but they have a whole initiative on how they're gonna be sustainable during the Olympics. And they had a whole like plan available to the public. They plan on using mostly renewable energy or as much as possible to run the Olympics, basically. And that they're going to recycle 99% of the procured items and goods, as well as recycling 65% of any waste that results from all the events. I will say Japan is definitely like known for being really great in separating their garbage or like their waste Mm -hmm. so even though they produce so much plastic and all of that is like actual garbage they're still very strict on recycling what they can yep and this actually goes into what i want to talk about for korea because one of the positives i noticed in both korea and japan when we went to go travel and this is also what sources online say is that they are countries that are very good with recycling Mm -hmm. i remember when we had an airbnb in korea it was our responsibility to organize everything into their special recycling bins and then take out the trash and the recycling yeah there was like a big difference for us as like a group of friends going there as like people who live in the western hemisphere because our first approach because we went from korea to japan um in korea we kind of like threw everything in the bag and then decided to sort it afterwards when we were cleaning up the apartment and that was like the really wrong way to go because it was disgusting to like sort through all our food waste and like pick out the recycle not the recycling bits because you can't recycle like soiled stuff after Mm -hmm. but we were trying to like pick out the food waste from like the garbage stuff we did the recycling correctly don't worry but there is like that separation still and 
after that ridiculous ordeal, we realized in Japan, okay, just separate your garbage as you go. And like, that's like second nature to them. I can't even like begin to talk about how in university I was like teaching my peers around me that a plastic bag doesn't belong in the recycling bin. I still struggle sometimes realizing what's recyclable or not. Sorry, Jenny. No, it's good. You realize that not much is actually recyclable here. Like, not much packaging is recyclable, and it's very sad. I remember Krias, like, the recycling bins were separated into so many specific descriptions of what should be put into each bin. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know a lot of those types of recyclables were, like, a thing. I will say, I think it's also partially because we were staying at an Airbnb, So it was definitely, like, the host's responsibility to make sure that we were recycling correctly because there is, like, consequences or just, like, it's it's not nice to your society to not recycle correctly. Mm -hmm. So I think he put that sign up for, like, the intention of trying to teach people. And I really hope that foreigners staying in those, like, Airbnbs are respecting those rules. But somehow I kind of doubt it. Uh, Well, we we can only hope. Yep. Moving on with Korea and what they're doing, just a little bit of history. Korea went through a lot during the war. And so afterwards, there's a huge increase in the amount of manufacturing and export that they did in order to rebuild their economy, which is now super strong. And so this has resulted in a lot of air pollution. In fact, I think among developing regions, they have the second worst air quality, which really sucks. And this is in no way like I'm, I'm not saying this in like, you know, one of those racist ways, because as mm-hmm. Chinese people, we know how annoying it is to hear, oh, your air is so polluted, blah, 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 because it's kind of necessary to build an economy and produce things. Right. But that is the problem they're facing right now. And they are also situated in an area where neighboring countries that also produce a lot kind of contribute to their bad air quality. So there's like a test done because Korea was confused about like where exactly this bad air quality was coming from. So over half of the pollutants were from their own manufacturing, but the rest are blown over from neighboring countries. Yeah, like mostly China, I think, because they're just so close. close. Yeah. And you always hear Koreans say like, oh, please wear a mask because like, be careful. There's a lot of, um, what did they call it? Find us. Yeah, find us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All the K-pop idols constantly. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently, the government actually warns them, like, whenever find us, levels are really high. It's the same thing in China. Yeah. A good thing Korea did try to do is, like, switch to a lot of renewable energy. And that did result in some consequences because they put a lot towards, like, nuclear energy. But obviously, that produces a lot of nuclear waste that then is, like, hard to dispose of. So that is, like, the, the situation they're facing right now. But... I'll just end it off with another positive. Korea is really good at using public transportation. When we went to Seoul, we hardly saw cars, to be honest. Everyone took public transportation. There's still cars. Like, not to, like, put it lightly, but there's no, like, crazy traffic jams and everything. But, like, there's not no cars. I just want to clarify. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like a utopia. It's very... It's, like, sparse, though. Yeah. But that's because I think in Asia and in Europe and places that are heavily populated, it's so much easier to take transportation because it literally costs you like 20 cents. Mm -hmm. And we can't say the same here where it costs like $3.50 to go anywhere. Yeah. And like when you're living in a huge city, everything's super convenient to get to. Yeah. If you have like a good subway slash bus system. Mm -hmm. But still very good. And I wish we could do the same. Same here. I guess we can move on to Southeast Asia. Sure. Most of my research ended up, like, when I searched for Southeast Asia um, regions, it just narrowed down statistically to Indonesia. So those are most of my, like, actual statistics to point to this time. 
But just to set context for those who don't really understand the current environmental situation in Indonesia, my friend Christina did go on exchange there, um, like a volunteer exchange opportunity. And it was actually to teach kids about sustainability. That's so cool. Yeah, because their country, (laughs) exactly. But their country has a huge issue. Like I was talking to her about it and they basically like 100% can't drink the water from their taps because in a lot of countries like Connie was talking about that had to develop quickly they kind of got bombarded with western capitalism as they were developing if that makes sense a good example is that a lot of developing countries went from having no phones at all straight to cell phones that's how I would like no landlines no anything but the downside of that is that Western companies start servicing you so many things that they don't educate you about, right? So, like, this comes back to our 88 Rising episode, I think, where Rich Brian was saying that he never knew until he watched his grandmother cook fried chicken that she was frying the chicken with the plastic on. Oh, I actually yeah. remember this. Yeah, and they're just completely, like, they got screwed over by Western capitalism by just buying cheap products in bulk, but just not understanding, like, the health consequences mm-hmm. of it. So when you go to Indonesia... Their rivers are entirely filled with trash because they weren't taught to, like, dispose of it in any other way. Mm -hmm. So that's why education is so important right now for Indonesia specifically, because they just were completely left in the dark about this stuff and um, suffered the consequences of consumerism. So on that dark note... I think the most notable thing that Indonesia is doing right now is that they're really paying a lot of attention to their forests and their agriculture and everything like that because they've tried to commit to zero deforestation. Basically, they're trying to drive economic growth in a different manner than just like continuously, you know, tearing down forests to build buildings or to start farms and like everything you need to do to actually develop. Okay, remember Jack Harry's slash Ben Harry's? I don't yeah. remember which one. Both of them. Yeah. <laughs> They're environmentalists who used to be YouTubers, mm-hmm. if you guys don't know. But I think one of them visited, it was either Indonesia or some sort of Southeast Asian country to like interview a tree planter. Um, this- so they went to this country called Bhutan. Oh, and- oops. No, it's all good. I was going to talk about this too. So they actually visited a country called Bhutan, um, which is in Southeast Asia, like Connie was saying. They visited it because they're like really big advocates for sustainability now and they do like participate in a lot of activist movements. But this country is like one of the only ones that is carbon neutral. That is so cool. How yeah. do they achieve that? I'll tell you how. They all kind of like farm their food. And that I'm is sh- the ideal world if you want to make the environment. Exactly. Better, Let's all go but... back to like our roots. <laughs> yeah. Living in the forests. But I think it's like really commendable because Bhutan is really, really close to China. Mm-hmm. So they have to, like, do their part to try and keep their air clean. Yeah. Um, but I will say that's the big debate here, which is what we're trying to emphasize in today's episode, too, is that it's, like, completely unfair that people keep blaming Asia as a whole for pollution when they need to survive, yeah. you know? There's a huge East versus West battle, it seems, when it comes to, like, environmentalism and sustainability. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like a blaming game. And obviously, since we're here in the West most of the time, we hear like the negatives about Asia. So that's what prompted us to do all this research. Yeah, exactly. Basically, I think the most influential part of Indonesia's recent sustainable movements is that they have like forced big corporations to get on board. And that's like the key. And if you're like understanding of sustainable activism, you know that that's like literally the only thing that really matters in the long run is that most of the pollution and the damage is coming from these large corporations. So they've gotten a lot of like pulp and paper printing operations to commit to planting or like basically preserving one hectare of natural forest 
for every hectare of their plantations. So they had to like have a combined investment of $100 million from 2015 to 2025. And that's not like in the grand scheme of this world, that's not a lot of money. But I think for a a country like Indonesia and that scale and with not much support from other countries, um, it's like pretty impressive, I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah. One more small thing that they're doing, which is like super random, but I just thought it was kind of cute and kind of a good idea. And something we don't think about a lot is that they're educating their locals now on fire prevention because they like live in such a forested Uh ecosystem. Do they have a lot of forest fires? I think so. Like, I think they have a lot. So that's, like, super damaging to the environment there. And it's something that we don't learn about in Asia. Like, even here, I don't want to call people out, so I'm not going to say names, but I know a few of, like, my friends who are from more of an Eastern family background go camping, and they don't put out the fire at night. Do you know what I mean? Like, they literally just don't bother. Mm -hmm. And it drives me crazy. And, like, when they brought it up, I did, like, mention it. But it's kind of, like... You need to know, like, the severity of forest fires. Yeah. So. The thought yeah. of that just makes me so anxious. Yeah. What the heck? So props to them for, like, doing these small initiatives, right? Because it's really about educating the people in the long run. But I think we're ready to move on to the big can of worms. Yeah. Jenny did a lot of research on this. So let's hope we cover this topic well and do it justice because yes. I'm a little bit scared. So I want to start off with a disclaimer. We are now moving into talking about China and their sustainable development, I guess, to put it like that. To be clear, China is the biggest polluter in the world, I think. Very much or so. Or did U.S. surpass them? I can't remember. I'm not sure about the statistics, okay. but either way, two very polluting countries. Yes. So China is known for just being like smog-filled and everything. And we will not deny that when we first visited China... That was like an experience that we had in uh-huh. like 2008, 2009. Yeah. And everything we listed from the other countries that we've talked about so far is also like a similar issue with like education of the locals and everything in China. So disclaimer in one sentence, China is contributing terrible things to our global environment, but they are trying to change. And we're just going to talk about how they're trying to change because we all know how they're doing badly. Yeah. Can we put it like that? So, same thing about economic development. I think China suffered the hardest here. They just became the factory of the entire world. Yeah. And what can you do if they want to continue helping a billion people survive? <laughs> okay, one of the most racist things I always hear is like, everything cheap is made in China. Like, you know how the made in China thing is just made out to be such a like offensive statement? Mm-hmm. Why don't people understand that they were freaking dirt poor and they have to do something to, like, achieve, like, a better, like, for their citizens to achieve a better life. Yeah. I have a similar experience with this where I've had healthy debates with Westerners because they blame China for, like, the manufacturing pollution. But then I've had the explanation that is um, if you want to continue to consume cheaper electric goods, cheaper clothing, um, like, cheaper anything consumer-related then they either have to make it for you or companies are already moving to Vietnam because that's the next developing country. If you look at the economic growth charts and like the actual data, Vietnam is following the exact same trajectory as China followed in the beginning of their economic opening. After Mao Zedong 
had like finished his term, they opened their economy. And then Vietnam is now following the same thing because China is actually getting expensive now. So companies are all moving to Vietnam to get them to produce their stuff for a cheaper cost. If you're not doing the cheapest, they're going to move somewhere else as long as consumers want something cheaper, you know? And I don't think... they always do. Yeah. And I don't think it's a blame game. Like obviously in the Western world, we consume things and it's good for the economy, but also like who are we to blame? the people who are making it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But on that note, that's not what we're talking about today either. Oh, yeah, that was a very big sidetrack Yeah, just moment. a tangent. What is China actually doing? So starting off, maybe Connie can talk to this because she knows about this specific area. Um, we were talking about it earlier with her Japan and Korea side, but it's like the garbage stuff. Oh, yes. So when we were talking about Korea and Japan, one point we did emphasize was recycling. And what China has recently started implementing, I think like they started with Shanghai, is sorting through garbage. They started separating things into like compostable waste and it's very specific, like different types of compostable waste will go into different bins. And they also have like recyclable waste, just a bunch of different categories. A lot of Chinese variety shows started making it into like a game with their celebrity guests. They'd like have to play games that involve like sorting garbage basically (laughs) yeah they were promoting it like all over the place and teaching people how to properly sort their garbage and the effects are going to be astronomical (laughs) the volume on this is astronomical wow we go on tiktok too much (laughs) you can't deny that that's why i use that word but anyways (laughs) getting back on track they're enforcing this in many cities throughout the year. So they start with Shanghai. I think they're already in Beijing. And they're going to move on to other cities that some of you probably don't know, or most of you probably don't know, like Tianjin and Chongqing. I can't say it in an English accent. But um, <laughs> it's, it's just like a ton of people. And I remember looking over this article literally in December 2019. And I was like calculating the 12 cities that they were piloting this in. And that's already 89.5 million people that are going to be actively composting and recycling. You know, wow, craziness. But along the same lines, a few days ago, they officially announced that by the end of the year, they do everything so quickly. I don't really know. But it's because they can. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, by literally like two weeks ago, I think they announced that they were officially banning all straws and any single use plastic for like groceries and everything by the end of the year. Wow. So I think it's not too hard because China doesn't have a huge culture. Like it was only after the Western capitalist stuff went in. Mm -hmm. They had like a huge culture of cafes and stuff. In China, they don't drink cold drinks as much. So they don't need straws. And then I find it's actually not very rare for people to bring canvas bags, grocery shopping and everything. Oh, that's very common. So it's going to be like an easy transition. Yeah. As a side note, I was actually watching a vlog by... um a Chinese celebrity slash influencer yesterday and she was talking about how she doesn't like using paper straws in cafes so she bought like those metal straws and I was like hey girl sustainability <laughs> but I think it's because like they literally can't even use plastic straws in cafes now yeah just keeping on like the same like citizen level of change I think the most impressive thing that I've seen is that my relatives Connie and I are like the youngest in our generation of family members yeah and we're the only actually there's one other family but like we're very much just alone in Canada almost Uh you know most of our families back in China yeah so last year when I actually went back to China for the first time in like eight years I got to meet for the first time our 
nephew i don't know what to call him because there's so many like weird links of like cousin of cousin and like my mom's something but we call him nephew i still have not met him yeah <laughs> but he's like very young and i was at like we were talking about what he was learning in school and they're literally all just learning about how important the planet is well that's good they can literally like tell you exactly what you need to do like you can't litter you can't and that's like a huge thing if you've been to china yeah. you know how big it is to like actually be able to tell someone not to litter can you believe that when i was in elementary school there was environmental clubs i was it in was those yeah i was in them too but people thought it was embarrassing really <laughs> jenny doesn't even know <laughs> she's not aware but like <laughs> the members of the club are not considered cool if you know what i mean oh that's like, news to me and the <laughs> participation rate isn't like okay i'll j- i just won't go there and destroy jenny's childhood but <laughs> okay. I don't think the connotations were that great. Whoops. Which is very sad. Another example of why my weird ability to not read these things have made me a very confident person in my grown-up years. <laughs> anyway, so moving on from the early education aspect of it, I do think there's also a really interesting statement I read in a book um, called Food is the Solution. And it's a vegan cookbook. I'm not vegan, but like Josephine, my friend, lent it to me. Mm-hmm. And so I like the first half of the book is actually just an extended essay about the impacts of the food industry. And I felt so bad after reading it. I consciously try to avoid material like this, which is like not very good on my part. But I'm just so scared that if I read or consume content like this, I will become vegan. And I do (laughs) like me some meat. So it's quite sad. Basically, like, China's, like, so rich right now. Their citizens in cities, like, in the big cities, are astoundingly rich. And I think everyone knows if they've met international students. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think, like, the consumption of food and, like, just restaurant culture is insane right now in China. People go out and eat, like, 60 crawfishes in a night, you know? Like, one person single-handedly. This is not an exaggeration. (laughs) Yeah. And the interesting thing about this book that it pointed out was that so far like China has been one of the only countries to actively commit their food department or whatever you call those people like the health department Mm -hmm. are actively going to reduce meat consumption by 2025 so they're like promoting alternative protein things because like China's a little out of control right now and I think their obesity rates are going up 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 Mm -hmm. right I have noticed that (laughs) Yeah. That's offensive to say. No, it's, like, true because, like, ever since, like, you know, the first KFC opened in China and now, like, there is fast food on every uh-huh. step of the door and step of the door, every corner of the street. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm not from, I'm from Canada. I can speak English. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I can't speak Chinese or English fluently. What yeah. the hell am I? <laughs> rip. So rip. I will have to say, though, the more I do try to, like, lower my consumption of meat, which I am trying, like, I try to not eat beef as much anymore. As long as you start cutting little things out, you realize that it's really not difficult to go without meat for a bit. Mm -hmm. I did it since, like, from the beginning of the year to, like, when COVID started. Because Mm -hmm. I think, like, when you... And that's another stance I have on personal sustainability. But when you live with your family, it's not your... it's not your place to try and force a lifestyle on someone so like don't cause unnecessary tension it's like a minor encouragement to like reduce meat intake is already enough and i think that's what china's doing with a billion people i think that's why vegans get a bad rep because a lot of them are very vocal about like oh if you consume meat you suck but you know a lot of pleasant vegans out there don't think that they just want you to reduce your meat consumption a bit 
Yeah, I think there's like always room for acceptance of all sorts of lifestyles, but then at the same time, there's always room for learning and change. And that's all I'm asking for. Yep. Moving on to some other things China's doing right environmentally, there is a large increase in the usage of electric vehicles lately. When we went to China, we saw so many Teslas in Shanghai. Well, Tesla literally opened the factory in Shanghai because they're servicing, like, I think China might be their largest customer right now. Probably. Um, they have the green license plates subsidized by the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll know how significant that is if you study, like, the urban structure of China. But basically, like, a license plate in China costs, like, more than a car <laughs> or, like, the same amount of as a car. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how it exactly works because they're trying to reduce, like, the amount of cars on the streets. Yeah, I remember... Even the first time we went to China, when we went to Beijing, they would assign, like, you can only use your car on certain days of the week. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of countries have started doing that, like more populated countries. But then with implementation of the green license plate, I'm pretty sure, like, there's still, like, the lottery to get chosen for getting a license plate because you can't just get one anymore. You're in a wait list because they need to, like, keep the same amount of cars on a road or, like, Mm -hmm. reduce the increase. And I think they give it to you for free or for like an extreme extreme discount yeah it's encourage you to get electric vehicles yeah basically a free license plate which is very hard to come by and they're like all over now and i think china has like a company called byd which is called build your dream and they are like a leading manufacturer in electric vehicles and i think la recently has adopted their entire bus fleet to be from byd oh that's so cool so like they're kind of like expanding globally I think a lot of, like, taxis in China are electric now and a lot of, like, public transport, you know? So they're trying. And we'll deal with the battery problem when it comes because this is still a flawed solution. Yeah. Just for the record. Like, a huge criticism of electric vehicles is that it's not environmentally friendly to dispose of the batteries Mm -hmm. right now. But, like, it's always a start. Like, the concept is there, right? Yeah. There's always solutions to these problems. So it's still a good thing to use electric vehicles, I think. I think this perfectly segues into how electric vehicles are not the solution right now for most of us in the world because even where we live in Ontario, Canada, there's only 80% of our energy that's clean energy. Oh, And like the rest is still like coal generated. So if you're still using coal generated electricity to power your car, then like you're not... Yeah, you're not You know, nothing's happening. (laughs) So one thing that is the most prominent for me out of everything because... We know that China is very flawed in certain environmental actions, but the most notable thing of eight years of not going is when I went back to China last year, I was living in blue skies. Yeah, I was like, what is this place? Blue skies all around. Like, I think it was like smoggy for one week out of the two months I was there. And this is like, of course, a big city thing. But um, there's like an article, we'll link it in our show notes because I just don't want to sit here and recite stats to you. But the amount of coal factories or coal generated energy places that they've shut down in the past few years is like a little insane. Like, I don't know how their economy hasn't collapsed yet. I'm not really sure what's going on. They've literally like shut down a ton of like tens of thousands of coal factories that were not complying with the sustainable metrics to -hmm. meet. And I think that's a lot of the reason why. And, like, they definitely do want to keep it away from larger cities because they generate pollution already for just being a city. So they're, like, also moving towards shutting down those factories around the cities. All right. Yeah. I'll skip through some stuff, so I'll just list them out. But um, I think one thing is that Beijing, or, like, I think they're just referring to China, as we do with, like, the capital city. But they're accelerating green finance. So they're already, 
the largest or second largest green bond market in the entire world. So they're really pushing for like transparency and like having companies release their greenhouse gas emissions along with their like financial records, uh-huh. which I need because I'm trying to start investing and I don't know which companies to trust to be like sustainable, you know? What is the term for like investing companies you believe are socially good? That's a good question. I only know divesting, which is uninvesting from companies that are not what, being Jenny, socially I thought you taught good. me this term. I'm sorry. Anyways. Yeah. Green green finance and investing. <laughs> I don't know. Someone's screaming at me right now in, while listening. Um, the last thing that I wanted to point out is that the craziest thing they've committed to so far in January, like the beginning of this year, is a 10-year commercial fishing ban along the entire Yangtze River. What? <laughs> That's in saying okay like i'm learning a lot right now yes so this refers to it kind of reminds me of what's his name andrew yang uh-huh you know his like platform which other politicians need to kind of like get with and i don't fully understand american politics and i don't fully understand where he stands but one thing he said that i found very notable is just like re-educating people and like giving them opportunities to develop yeah so this fishing ban for 10 years impacts hundreds of thousands of fishermen that live along that river do they re-educate them they're sending them with financial compensation and free reschooling and reschooling opportunities like every single one of them well hopefully that works out for them i really hope so but i think that's like the thing like you need to understand what the major investment is and they realize that the fishing commercial fishing was the largest impact on their environment and they'll probably throw like billions of dollars at that I think not enough countries are doing that. Like, most countries are kind of dispersing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll take away a little plastic there. We'll take away a little coal there. But, like, where's, like, the huge financial impact movement? Even though it's a lot of money. <laughs> we need more money in the world. But that doesn't work oh, that God. way. I want to say one more funny downside to China's recent green movements. They've planted so many trees. Um, like, all along their railroad tracks, too, now, when you, like, go through the Chinese countrysides, all like the tracks are surrounded by baby saplings. Did you notice that when you went? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I didn't, just a note, like last time we went to China, I only had time to go to one city because I had work. So Jenny like traveled around China, whereas I just went to Shanghai Mm -hmm. and had to go back. Because I just graduated at that point. Yeah. And they made a really funny mistake, but I think they chose trees that were supposed to grow fast and they did, they grew fast. Okay. Like, they're full-size trees already, and we've only been gone for eight years. And their problem is that they didn't consider the sheer volume of tree pollen that was being generated. Like, in... Were you allergic? So allergic. <laughs> like, in pollen season, the entire streets are just covered in a white layer of fluff. And that was, like, a bad call. But I feel like they can figure out a way to, you know, genetically mute... Um, genetically modify, um, like, their... their saplings or whatever hopefully so then they stop like just burying it looks like snow oh my god yeah it's like really bad so let's not rush into these decisions everyone why don't we wrap this uh podcast up with jenny talking a little bit about her own sustainability initiatives because i find it super interesting and i think like you guys could learn a lot from what she's done Whoa. Um, I'm not like a good role model in the sense where I'm not a zero waste person and I have a lot against zero waste people. Is that controversial? 
Um, <laughs> nah. I think in the future when I do make more YouTube videos about like sustainability, just for the sake of sharing like my thoughts with the people, the people, they sound like a precedent. Um, <laughs> I think it's a lot about balance and that's like a lot of my life. I don't think that being a zero waste advocate on social media is healthy for the sustainability movement because normal people are going to look at like your jar of trash that you've collected for five years and be like, <laughs> wow, I can never do that. I'm not even going to start trying. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And it makes the, the people advocating for sustain. Why can't I say this word? <laughs> sustainability look really overbearing. Yeah. And it's not really like you want your group of activists to have a positive influence and be likable you know what i mean yeah it's like just try to make it seem more attainable yeah. that's all i'm asking for because it is really attainable and i think that's where i've gotten to even in university i wasn't like really great about being strict about it but in just a year i feel like i've come like very very far in like the journey to just living a lower impact or lower footprint life and i have like this grid actually that i was planning to make a video about soon and maybe I'll link it in the show notes whenever that comes out but I think it's about evaluating where your carbon footprint lies so for me like and for Connie I think the same thing goes that air travel which is a huge component is something yeah. that we don't want to sacrifice like it's a high priority to travel in like our youth and like have a good time yep. but in other areas that means that you can compensate by eliminating so like when I'm not living with my family I completely eliminate like red meat from my diet for example yeah since I live in like a bigger city, I've completely like just don't have to drive and I don't even take transport. I kind of just walk in the local areas. Yeah. And it's convenient for her. Yeah. Like I think you don't have to like maybe a weekend subway trip to like the outskirts of the city is like fun, but you don't have to like go far to have a good time. Like just small things like taking more natural house cleaners and like the healthiest thing that you could possibly do is literally to just stop buying processed foods. By, That's good for your health. It's like so good. If you start looking, you'll go crazy. But if in the grocery store next time, whenever you can go safely, like and do go safely in these days, if you look around, nothing is untouched by plastic. And it like will drive you crazy when you start noticing it. Uh -huh. So I'm lucky enough to live by a farmer's market and a bulk store because of being in a bigger city. Mm -hmm. And ever since I started buying all my fresh produce from the farmer's market and buying all my like pantry stuff from the bulk store, I've had like a huge like cooking innovation basically. And you get to make like so many things from scratch. And it's like a good time, good hobby. And like, I got so much healthier from it, I think. Very good lifestyle you're living, Jenny. Thanks. It's like a lifestyle check more so than like a crazy zero waste heist, you know? Yeah. And one thing, I'm trying to do myself because I'm a little bit more behind on the sustainability thing than Jenny. I've been someone who like really loves, you know, beauty and fashion and like consuming. Like I used to love shopping. I'm not going to lie. So one of the big things for me is learning about how like toxic consumerism is for our environment. But that is like the big problem with our culture right now just look at instagram culture and how influencers are getting so many free clothes and it's seen as such a positive thing and like it's not anyone's fault that that's seen as like the glamorous life you know what i mean everyone wants to like live that but in the end the core of the problem is oftentimes the culture that is to consume so much and to like always have to get the next best thing that is actually my biggest problem with china right now yes I don't th that's know. a huge problem in china yeah i don't know a single person 
within my circle of like family friends and family in China that doesn't own like 20 of one thing. Yeah. And like there's this movement right now that people are trying to use to kind of excuse their mass amount of purchasing and it's called sustainable fashion, which like I like. That's a good idea. You're recycling materials and creating clothes that don't impact the environment as much. But at the same time, that's still feeding into consumerism culture, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're not doing much just because you're like, you're still buying stuff and it's still probably going to get thrown away. Yeah. And it sucks that these people are seen as superior sometimes just because they consume in sustainable fashion because there are genuinely people out there that cannot afford such high-priced clothing and who need to resort to fast fashion. It's literally just privileged sustainability. Exactly. So you can't blame people for consuming a fast fashion. The thing you can control is to not buy so, so much. You genuinely don't need it. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to change that mindset in myself too. So that's where I stand right now. Nice. I'm proud of you. That's exactly what it is, though. Like, just listing out some basic things. There's air travel. There's just, like, car travel, red meat consumption, animal product consumption as a whole. Your convenience of cleaning your place. Like, do you really want chemicals? Are you willing to mix some of your own cleaners? Uh, Like, your ability to minimize food packaging in your daily grocery trips. Or, like, daily, what the heck, weekly grocery trips. Your ability to like finance or like we were saying, invest in green companies or if you're lazier like I am right now and you like investing in mutual funds and like large group things, then that means you're contributing to companies that are extremely unsustainable in like a group setting. So like all these things I've listed out, you can determine what's necessary for you and what's unnecessary for you and just start with like cutting down on the unnecessary luxuries of life for you i'm not asking you to lower your life quality because your life quality doesn't get lowered at all if you're just cutting from things that you don't get much mary kondo joy out of i don't like mary kondo's like principles but like i always quote her joy thing it's so funny it's like applicable you know yeah bottom line is if everyone just made little changes to their life little changes that hardly impact anything it'll lead to a huge impact in the environment yeah and then you can like not be a hypocrite when you call out corporations you can be like i am doing this with my life so you better get your crap together Mm -hmm. sir calling a corporation sir oil companies (laughs) yep um (laughs) on that note can i summarize yeah asia is um not doing great with the environment and china is a giant contributor to um, the pollution in the world but they have a lot of commendable acts and I think that more people in the world need to acknowledge these movements and these initiatives to also like kind of in a way encourage them to continue with this movement so I think the western countries operate like we're some like bougie sushi restaurant we're super healthy like you're just coming for a little bite you know nibbles of like luxurious fish (laughs) and then china is like the mcdonald's of the world and Uh all i can describe in this sense is that mcdonald's has had the largest shift in like the healthiness of their food because they're held much more liable than like i don't know harvey's okay you know yeah that's what i feel like like i feel like we're kind of a harvey's too and we need to get our crap together and stop building more pipelines i love how this i wasn't gonna make this about us <laughs> i love how this episode both promotes sustainability and also commends mcdonald's yeah <laughs> sponsor us mcdonald's <laughs> that's the conclusion china's mcdonald's okay merci connie recommendation okay yeah this will be a quick one because it's music i guess building on the china theme 
I'll be recommending some C-pop today. I'm someone, and Jenny can attest this, plus I think she shares the same opinion. I don't really like C-pop, usually. I don't no, think... No. Like, China has been pretty behind in the music world. Entertainment and, as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I'd say their music production in general is pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> I won't roast too much. But there are very promising new artists that are coming out, and... The artist I want to bring to your attention is this young girl. And she's kind of... This girl is pretty much known for being a music prodigy in China. She started off with, like, playing the cello or something. Yeah, cello, I think. Yeah, and, like, a lot of other instruments. And then she, like, built her fame from that and, like, acts and stuff now. Her name is Nana Ouyang. Ouyang Nana. I don't know which order to say It sounds so wrong to say in that order. Her name is Ouyang Nana. Yeah. Thank you. And she released an EP lately that completely shocked me because this does not sound like C-pop. The EP is just called Nana One, or like I I, (laughs) as the number one, like the Roman numeral. And it's like a very acoustic-y... The tunes slap. Sweet album. Yeah. Her vocals are really soft and sweet. That's all I can describe Try to picture a young, innocent Billie Eilish. (laughs) Asian. Yeah, I'd say it's almost like a female Bruno Major. Yeah. That's I kind of see music. it as, like, her production mood. I kind of see it as, like, if Billie Eilish was the color, like, black and gray, she's, like, pink and pastels. Yeah. I, like, also really like her aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, highly recommend you check out her music. It's in English, which <laughs> I don't... If that's like, a barrier for you, yeah, there you go. It's in English, and I think it's, like, really refreshing to see a Chinese artist make good music like that. I agree. It's actually really good. Like, Connie and I don't have the same music taste mm-hmm. most of the time. <laughs> and this is the one song we've been playing for, like, the past week. Well, one of the songs. But there's three songs on the EP to check out. Yes. They're all pretty good. Okay. Now for the official outro, because we've rambled so much. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion on this week's topic. To hear more, you can subscribe to The Bicultural Identity on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. While you're at it, we would also greatly appreciate any reviews on iTunes or simply sharing our podcast with your family and friends. But of course, no pressure. As well, any opinions and experiences discussed are solely based on our own experiences as second gens. And we invite you to share your thoughts on our blog, thebiculturalidentity.wordpress.com, where you can also find our individual episodes and supporting show notes. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in next Monday for our very next episode. See you then.